experience where it feels like God's not seeing you uh, pray, and it feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling without any response. You try to think about God, and there's maybe just a sense of disconnect, and you're struggling to really get your, your footing with God. Well, the people of Israel had a time like that, and Isaiah came along and he helped them to diagnose what was going on in their lives, in their community, and to make a change. And the beautiful thing is we have record of that, so today we get to go with them on that journey. And for many of us who have struggled with connection with God, who felt like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, like like something isn't just clicking, there might be a word for us this morning to help us. Uh, there might be something that resonates with us in Isaiah's diagnosis of the problem that the people of Israel were having. So could you open with me to Isaiah 58? Isaiah 58. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand, we'll pass one to you. And I really want to encourage you to follow along in the scripture. Um, so don't be shy about raising your hand and grabbing a Bible from us. Um, it's on page 423 in that particular Bible. We're beginning a new series. I'll explain a little bit more about that in a few moments. But first, I want us to think through uh, my opening question. Just have you ever felt like God is, is not seeing you? And to allow um, the journey of the people of Israel and Isaiah to shed some light on, on what that might be. Now, as you're opening up to Isaiah 58, um, this is in a section of chapters 56 through 66, um, toward the, the last part of the book of Isaiah. And, and what's going on there is Isaiah was speaking to the people of Israel as they would come back into the land uh, after the exile. And so it's kind of the ideal state of the people of Israel. And so in that sense, um, this is very much, now everything in Isaiah is correct, this is very much a message for us because... Um, it's, it's sort of like, how are we supposed to live now? How are we supposed to live now? So look with me in chapter 58, and let's explore this together. Cry aloud and do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob, their sins. Now, when you blow a trumpet like that, it's as if you're saying, hey, everybody listen up. I've got something really important to say. So everybody listen up. Isaiah has something important to say. Verse 2, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation who did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And then here's that question. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And then Isaiah answers, explains Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on mine. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. 
Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Meaning, you know, as this person is naked, you are just like them. You are a person of flesh, too. So don't be separated from them. Verse 8, then, when you, when you fast in this way, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the new day. And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from Sabbath, from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure, on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your fathers, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What I want us to think about this morning as we open up this new series is letting our light break forth. And I will explain over the course of our sermon this morning what that means. But let me just do a little bit of an introduction to this new series, which is called uh, Biblical Justice in a Broken World. And what I've done is to try to select some of the key passages throughout the Bible that address the issue of justice. What is biblical justice? And how does it inform the people of God as we live in a very broken world? world. And one of the things, there are several things we're going to have to keep in mind. I want to just uh, share a few of those as kind of first things for this series, this new series that we're doing. And that is, one goes strikes deep at the book of Isaiah itself. We're not always going to be in the book of Isaiah, but today we are. Isaiah's entire vision is a result of seeing God. And and if you can turn backwards with me to chapter 6, verse 1, we really get to the core of who Isaiah is and the entire book of Isaiah in verse 1 in chapter 6. This is the the vision of of the Lord. It's the call and the commissioning of Isaiah. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. And he goes on to explain, this is the part where we get, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it's really that vision Isaiah has at the outset of the book that informs everything. informs everything that Isaiah says and understands. It comes from a vision of God. Uh, It's really at the core of who Isaiah is. It's a defining trait of this book. 
is that vision of God. And it, it bleeds over into our conversation about justice because whenever we talk about justice, we need to make sure that we're allowing God to be the ultimate definer of justice. God is the one who defines what justice is and what social justice is. And, and so just as Isaiah looked to God in that opening, we look to God and we'll see that in the text of God. Now there's two, two words for justice um, throughout the Old Testament primarily. Um, they're over in chapter 56. So if you go back to chapter 58, that's our main one. And just look back a little bit to chapter 56, verse 1. This is the beginning of this section um, for the, those returning. Um, it says, Thus says the Lord, keep justice. And there's a Hebrew word there, mishpat, is, is, the, is how you say it in Hebrew. And do righteousness. And the word is zadikah there. And these are two different kinds of ways of thinking about justice. Uh, the zadikah the is primary justice. It's, it's what would the world be like if everybody did think everything the right way? Right? What would it be like if everybody just did everything the right way? That's what, that's what that justice refers to. Mishpat, the other one, uh, refers to rectifying justice. Because we live in a broken, fallen world, not everything goes the way it is intended to. And so we need rectifying justice. We need people to come along and make broken things right, to make the wrong things right, to bring them back to the way, to the way that they're supposed to be. And this is really a deep, fundamental idea throughout Scripture. Um, you think about the Ten Commandments. That was God's vision for justice for what right and wrong are in the world, and and, and yet when we, when we couldn't live up to that when uh, our own sinfulness kept us from, from creating community that is perfectly informed by justice, God had to rectify the situation. He did that through the person of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus enters into the world, God himself entering into the world, to live perfectly, to show us what perfect righteousness is. And then, on the heels of that, to rectify all the wrongs of the world by offering himself as an atoning sacrifice for sin. So whenever we talk about justice, we need to be reminded, we need to remember at the very core of it is our relationship with God, which is also defined by justice, that we've fallen short of, and that Jesus Christ has come and to, re to rectify. And so if this morning you're with us and you're dipping your toe in things of faith, this is a new part of the journey for you, you're exploring Christianity, um, I want to point you to that important truth and invite you to consider placing your faith in the person of Jesus Christ, who makes, you, makes us just before God and, and makes it possible for us to have right relationship with God. And everything that, that we do and think about flows from that initial, that core relationship with God that can only be made right by the person of Jesus Christ. And we do that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So if you're in that exploring phase, remember that is the center of, of it all. That's the center of justice. That's the center of everything, our relationship with God. But flowing out of that, we have um, these, these terms throughout the Old Testament and then different terms in the New Testament talk about justice, and, and social justice would be an appropriate term to talk about uh, the way the Bible talks about it, even sometimes the right translation for these Hebrew words, as long as we understand that God gets to define justice for us. So what that means is that sometimes our justice 
is, is going to align with what the world generally thinks is justice, but sometimes it might not. Because God gets to define what justice is, and we can't lose sight of that incredibly important truth. Um, and, and, and so this term, social justice, we're going to use, we're going to feel free to use it, but we're going to also understand that God gets to define, gets to define justice. And, and one last preliminary here, that is, we're in an era of activism. you feel that? We're in an era of activism. Even before the recent election cycle, it was kind of like that, and then, you know, it's become even more so. Uh, and then we live in the Bay Area, right? So this is where the activists are collected. <laughs> you get awakened as an activist, and you think, I must move to the Bay Area. So we have people who will live in trees for two, almost two years, right, um, to, to protect the trees. Uh, and I haven't researched it. They may be right on that. I haven't, I haven't researched but I'm just saying it's a, it's, it's a sign of the nature of the activism around us um, that people will be willing to do that. And so, um, so we, we have to think through a little bit of this um, in relation to where we are in time and in, in place. And unfortunately, the church oftentimes gets split over this question of social justice and justice and activism and all of that. And um, some people would fall on the side of seeing their activism as being very much a part of the expression of their faith. And then some people will see it as a distraction from what's core to being a Christian. And so we'll get these tensions within the church where people are missing each other. And some are embracing a certain kind of activism, and others are not because they feel it's kind of a distraction. And, and both have an element of truth in them. We have to sort of thread our way through that. I read an article um, this week by Todd Wilson of Exponential, um, and the title of the article was When Activism Becomes Idolatry. And a very helpful article to sort this through, not, not against activism, but just sort of thinking through how we keep these different parts in mind, and where he essentially lands is that um, we have two callings in life as followers of Jesus Christ. We've got our primary calling, which is to make disciples. It's always been to make disciples, and it always will be to make disciples. That's what Jesus did. That's the core of who Jesus was, and that's what he sent us to do, is to make disciples. Uh, and then, quoting Cotton Mather, the Puritan uh, minister, he talks about the second calling. Uh, where we'll be called to do things that are unique to the gifts that we've been given, the experiences that we've had, and the call on our lives. And some of those may end up being in the area of social justice. Um, uh, Todd Wilson was, was referred to that, but also his particular calling to help with church planting. But he ends with this idea, and this is from Cotton Mather, the preacher, that if we ever lose sight of our primary calling to make disciples, then we are like a rowboat with one oar in the water, and we'll just be spinning in circles. And so, so in all this conversation, we need to make sure we don't lose sight of our primary calling to make disciples. Now, oftentimes, it's interesting how the two can become wedded together. You know, working out that secondary calling, if you want to call it that, um, doing some sort of ministry relating to justice or some sort of activism can be beautifully wedded with the call. But we have to, it has to be a conscious decision for us to do that. It has to be intentional. We have to keep in the forefront as the people of God in order to make disciples and everything flows from that. 
So some preliminary thoughts that I think will be part of uh, our whole series. These are threads that run throughout this series. Now let's jump into this particular text, Isaiah's diagnosis, the ailment and the diagnosis um, that uh, Isaiah brings uh, for the people of God. The ailment is in verse 3. If you look with me in verse 3, why have we fasted, they say, and you see it not? God, where are you? You're not seeing our fasting. Why have we humbled ourselves? And you take note all the time. We, we want to see you work in, in our, our community. We want to see you work in our lives. We want to see you at work. You know, around us, and we're not we're not seeing. It seems like you're distant, you're far. And and, and Doctor Isaiah then diagnoses the problem in the second half of verse three. He says, "Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure." So the fasting be part of the religious worship rite of the people, okay? and, and and they're doing it, but to seek their own pleasure. And you oppress all your workers, and then you you you. You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with the wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. So essentially what he's saying is, is, look, you're doing these religious things. You're doing these worship things, but it's for your own pleasure. You're seeking your own pleasure. This happens, it still happens today. It happens among the church people. Whenever we use church to baptize our own desires. We use church to baptize our own desires instead of letting God shape our desires, what's most important. So, so we have to ask, sort of to connect in with the people of Israel here, to what extent are we using God to baptize our own wants and desires? That's what is really going on here. And, and, and I see it expressing itself in our culture in, you know, oftentimes a pursuit for comfort or control over life or the elements of the American dream creep into our psyche and become the primary focus and we use God to sort of baptize what we actually want and we're not allowing God to shape the deepest part of our longings and our desires and as a result we become anemic in our faith, right? And we become disconnected we become like the people of Israel here. Because God's will is explained, the, the nature of justice, if you will, is explained in verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. This is the definition. So I said earlier that we have to allow God to define what justice is, righteousness is. And in this, this is one of, the, one of the places where he does that. And he defines it this way. It's, it's not gathering together in a hypocritical kind of a way to, to praise God, but then not to care about what he cares about. He cares about the hungry. He cares about the oppressed. He cares about the broken and lost. That's what God cares about. So if we gather together and sing His praises, if we're doing it with sincerity, then we will also care about those things. We can't just use church to baptize our own desires and our own wants. And he's not saying that the rites of worship, the gathering together and singing, needs to be 
celebrating the Sabbath are wrong. He's not saying that because in verses 13 and 14, he circles back and he says, look, you, you know, those, the Sabbath keeping is still valuable. It's still important. But just don't substitute it for the kind of religion that cares for the poor and, and takes care of the hungry and, and frees the oppressed. It, they, go, they go hand in hand They're being, to be connected together. That's the diagnosis that Isaiah has for the people of God. That without social justice, their worship is empty hypocrisy. That's why their prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, as it were, in this particular case. They, sometimes we are not really interested in hearing from God. We're interested in, in God for our own, our own interests. And that's what Isaiah is, is striking at. If you, if you want to, if you want to see God work, then make sure you you are also listening to God. You, you don't get to just speak to God and tell Him what you want, but you also are called upon to listen to God. And through the Scripture, we can hear His heart. And this is the heart of God in these verses six, seven, right here, beautifully outlined. And what excites me about this passage is the remedy that Isaiah gives. If we deal with this disconnect, then great things are in store for the people of God. This is pretty astounding. This chapter is remarkable for the list of promises that it gives to the people of God. There are at least 14, depending on how you cut it up. There's 14 different promises that are given to the people of God in this text, and we don't even have time to sit with each and every one of them. Um, and they're powerful, and they're striking, and I encourage you this afternoon to sit and just meditate, and when you meet as groups throughout this week, meditate on these promises. Um, you know, we want to hear, we want God to hear us. That's that's one of the deep longing, longings of what it means to be human, is to be connected to God. And if we get this right, if we, if we get justice right, if we understand God's call in our lives, then we've got this promise um, that's there in, in um, verse 9. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. I love, if we go back to verse, chapter 6, you know, God says, who's going to go and proclaim to the people of Israel this, this vision that I'm and Isaiah says, here I am. And we remember that as one of the more beautiful verses in Isaiah. And he responds, says, here I am. And he's sending me a message. Well, now we've got the reverse of this. That when we get these things in proper order, when we get justice right, then God will say to us, here I am. See? This is powerful stuff. Now, the, the sort of, the sort of um, overarching concept is in verse 8. We, you know, we all want to make a difference in the world. That's, that's a deep human longing. We want to make a difference in the world. And what Isaiah says, if you get all this in right order, if you get your justice and your worship in proper sequence, and proper order together, then, verse 8, shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. It's kind of a summary of all the promises that the people of God will have this impact on the world and God releases his blessing through us, the people of God, who 
when we get our worship and our justice in the proper order. And the world gets to see the gospel in its fullness. The world gets to see the gospel in high death when we live out the gospel. So the proclamation of the gospel is a word thing. We get that. That's what, this is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. We're to proclaim the word of God. It's a word thing. We speak the gospel. But it's also a deed thing. Jesus lived out the gospel. He demonstrated. When people saw Jesus, they were seeing the will of God in high definition. And we are the hands and feet of Jesus now in the world. And so when we get our worship and our justice right and we live this out, the world gets to see in high definition the gospel. And this gives the gospel plausibility because the gospel now starts to make sense as it relates to the complexities of our broken world. And we win a hearing for the proclamation of the gospel. So they're very much intertwined. The plausibility of the gospel, uh, your, your, I love this phrase, your light shall break forth like the dawn. And he says it again a little bit later. Another promise, we as human beings, we want satisfaction. Right? It's songs about it, you know. We want satisfaction. That's something that we want. Verse 10, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, and satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your desire in scorched places. You may feel like you're in a scorched place right now. Maybe you're going through a situation in life where you feel like you're in a scorched place, and you need God to satisfy your desire and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden. You will be fortified, your bones will be strong, and you'll be fruitful. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. We want to be, we want to do heroic things. You ever thought, maybe when you were younger, you thought, wow, I'm going to grow up and do this or that. It's going to be awesome. Let's do heroic things. Well, when we get our worship and our justice in right orientation, we get to do heroic things. Verse 12, and your ancient roots shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. You know, we look at those workers who are repairing the Boroughville Dam, you know, before the floods, the snow starts to melt, and the water comes down, and hundreds of thousands of people are in the shadow of that dam, the biggest dam in the United States, and if it's not prepared properly, the water's going to come breaking through, and it's going to be a major disaster. So the people who fix that are heroes. They're heroes. And we get to be repairers of the breach, right? Restorer of the streets to dwell if we get our worship and our justice and right orientation. And then there's this one in verse 14 that I don't even know how to make sense of. Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. We have to go skydiving with God? Is that what that is? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how to process that. I've been thinking about that, and I thought this week, the closest I could come from Scripture to understand that was Paul being caught up in the third heaven, thinking, right? And getting this incredible vision.
for the world. And I, you know, this has been a, a pretty wild week for me with relates to this text. On Wednesday, I just finished studying this, and I went over to Subway, and I walked in the door, and right in front of me was this woman who was just weeping. She had all of her bags around the table with her, so she looked like she didn't have a place to live. So I, I got a gift card for Subway and handed it to her, and she started to open up to me and talk about why she's weeping and had a good conversation. And, and I'm still trying to think about how to respond. She has certain needs that, you know, it's complicated, right? How do you help people? So um, that was Wednesday. Thursday morning, I got up and I walked to my office, and there was somebody sleeping in the front door of my office. I couldn't get in. I didn't want to wake him up. It's pretty early. Um, so I went around to the back, and I had my extra key and, and went in that way. And, uh, and then I ended up talking with Dan, that was his name. He just moved here from Chicago. We had a nice conversation. And uh, I tried to offer him help. He wasn't really receptive. Um, but then he was there again the next morning, Friday morning, when I came in. Uh, and, and then we had a longer conversation. I was able to give him a gift card, um, which we, we typically do, to sort of out of hand. Um, when we meet somebody like this from the office, we've got gift cards from Trader Joe's. And I saw he had a guitar, so I put some guitar strings uh, next to him. And we had a conversation. And he was there again this morning, uh, by the way, when I came. He might have been there yesterday, too. Um, and so I'm thinking about bandit. And then this is the craziest one. Last night I'm going to a party. Uh, both times, you know, every time I'm looking at a person thinking Isaiah 58, right? Isaiah 58. Last night I'm going to a party in Point Richmond. And I come around the corner to turn into the cafe, and this woman who I recognize from, I've seen her on Salon Avenue, she's walking across, and she turns to my car, and she looks, she's got a cane, she's older, and she literally does this in front of my car and stops me. <laughs> like, man, God, you really have to be learning about Isaiah 58 um, this week. So I rolled out my window, and she comes over, and she says, I need to get back to El Cerrito. And I have that moment, I'm late, I'm really late for the party, you know, uh, what am I going to do? I say, 58, get in. <laughs> so she gets in, and we start driving back to El Cerrito, and she wants to listen to Chicago Transit Authority, so... I'm driving at 580, and we're the last day in Chicago Transit, it was like a 70s funk band. And I'm just having this surreal moment. Maybe this is what it means to ride on the heights of the earth. But I'm thinking about, you know, Paul riding and riding on the heights of the earth, and, you know, uh, caught up to the third heaven. And I kid you not, I, I dropped her off, and she gets out of the car, she turns back to me, and she says, Paul's caught up to the third heaven. I said, yes, he was. And I, the, what came to my mind at that moment was the passage that was read this morning from Matthew 25. That when did you do this to me? You did it whenever you did to the least. And it was as if, this is how it was. So my party, and I had like six amazing gospel conversations. Weird. Just weird. I don't know what to make of it, but it sure seemed like this passage was just leaping off the pages of my life. That God is saying, look, take care of the hungry and the poor and those in need. And I know I did that much, but, you know, I mean, at least it was a smile and an encouragement. Take care of the people that I care about, and, and I will give you opportunity to live out this gospel life that you have. That 
that's the, that's, I think that's the relationship that we're learning in Isaiah 58 between worship and justice. They have to be wedded together. So if that sounds good to you, if you want to go on the heights, ride on the heights of the earth, then verses 6 and 7 are your, are your call, your task. It's not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. We want to see God leading us into this more and more fully over the next weeks as we study biblical justice in the broken world. And we've got three established ways that we do this. We have County Inn, and you heard about that in our announcements. We have Living Hope Neighborhood Church, where we go uh, on a monthly basis to serve uh, uh, breakfast there uh, to those in need. And we have the shower program, which is the morphing of the, the homeless ministry. Uh, now it's become making meals, making lunches for the homeless and then offering shower. And those are three ways that people in this community can get involved. But these are just intended to cultivate a mindset within our community. At the end of the day, what we want is to sink into Isaiah 58 and let God lead us in the private, unique, individual callings that he's going to have over our lives. And for some of us, that's what happens in our career. That's a beautiful thing. And I commend those of you those in need and the hungry and the oppressed. It's wrapped up in your fear. For some of us, it's not, so we need to go outside to make this part of our lives. But let's pay attention to how God might be moving in our lives and calling us to, and, and maybe even having us link arms with others. Um, so God, would you help us? Help us to always keep the first thing first, to be disciple makers. But Lord, help us to do so your heart, and we ask that you would enable us to live into verses 6 and 7 of these coming weeks and beyond, that you would empower us and make possible for our hearts to be broken for what breaks your heart. God, help us to see verse 9, verse 8, that our light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up God, we want to see that kind of healing, so help us to get our worship and our justice in proper order. Um, guide us into it. It's going to be messy, but it's the call that you have on our lives. So meet us. In